Good morning, Cornerstone. It's great to be with you in your home or wherever you're, you're watching with us today. Um, I should actually say it's good to be together. It would be great to all be together in this room, but this is the best we can do for now. But it is good to be together. I wanna start my message today with one of my very favorite stories that I've told a few times here at Cornerstone. It comes from Christian author speaker Donald Miller, who now today is more well known as being a marketing genius in the business world for his company called StoryBrand. But he tells a story of a conversation that he had with a close friend many years ago. His friend was uh, middle-aged, and he was going through what middle-aged men do at the time. He was questioning his life. He was in a job that, uh, that he didn't love, that he felt stuck in, but he felt that he needed to just stay in that place because he had a family. And uh, he continued to describe just the frustrations with his life that had to do with his family to Donald and started talking about how it was becoming harder and harder for him to connect with his wife. Everything seemed mundane and the same. He, was ta- he talked about how his, his children seemed to be drifting off into different directions and the family was losing its connectedness. His daughter, in particular, had started dating a boy that the family did not approve of, and mom and dad were pretty sure that he was going to be a negative influence on her. And so all of their attempts to speak to her, to give, her, to, you know, to, to give input into this dating relationship, and then even consequences that she uh, was getting because she was sneaking out at night just weren't working, and he felt like he was losing his daughter living in his home behind shut doors all the time, and he was just really, really worried. And he said to Donald, he said, I, you know, I never imagined my life turning out like this. I know this is what happens to lots of families, but I never imagined our family turning out this way. And I'm worried. And the Lord used Donald that day to speak some life into his friend. And Donald looked at his friend and he said, you know, as a person that reads the scripture and is filled with the Holy Spirit and is walking with Jesus, it seems like that you and your family are living a very small story for all that God has given you. Could part of the problem be that your family is not living a big enough story? And the friend asked Donald, he said, well, what do you mean? And what would that look like? And Donald said, well, that's between you and God to figure out what it would look like to lead your family in such a way that you're living a bigger story. So the words actually stuck. And for the next two days, the friend prayed and thought about different things he could do. A couple days later, he called a family meeting, called his daughter out of her room. They sit down at the table, and the dad pulls out a whiteboard, and he writes some goals on this whiteboard, and he says to his family, we're going to take on a project. And we're gonna take on a project that has nothing to do with us. In fact, we're gonna make some incredible sacrifices to see this project come to its completion. We might even give up vacation time to see this happen. And he described an orphanage in Mexico that was in great need. They were needing a new building and just the operating budgets just to feed the kids and and, and pay for the staff was, uh, was in a decline. And the dad said, not only are we going to help this orphanage, we're going to solve the problems that they're experiencing right now as a family by ourselves. And he told Miller, uh, Donald, he told his friend Donald Miller that as he's telling this story that his wife's eyes got really big and she looked at him like he was crazy. And he looked at her and it just with this determination and virtue in his eyes, her face changed and quickly went from thinking her husband is crazy to I'm with you, this is the man that I married. His middle school son, of course, was really excited right away to go on a trip to Mexico and said, well, I can start doing certain things and started strategizing immediately. But his high school daughter was defiant, said, there's nothing that I'm going to give up for this project. But the dad stayed with it and they began to whiteboard 
that evening, the things that they could do as a family. And he gave each of the, the, everyone in the family the task to spend the next week coming up with certain things that they could do and, and things that the family could do to see this project come to completion. Well, a week later, the family sat down once again at the dinner table, and they all came with ideas. And over the course of the next several months, that family blessed that orphanage in, in Mexico more than maybe any other family like them had ever done before. And so as the friend is telling his friend Donald this uh, many months later, Donald's amazed at what took place. And he said, man, that is amazing. That, that, that's what it looks like to live the bigger story. And uh, the dad went on and on about how he and his wife were connecting in new ways and find each other in new ways and that he was having so much fun with his son. And that the miracle was that they were connecting with his, their daughter. She was showing up at the dinner table every night to be with the family. And what made things even better is that she broke up with that boy. And her reason was that she was living a different story and living for different things than he was. See, there's something powerful when God's people live the bigger story together. Now, for the next two weeks, I get to teach on this series called Sheltered Into New Life. And I want to use a couple of experiences from the prophet of Jeremiah to describe what it's like to be in that season of sheltered and what God does and what he calls us to and the promises that he makes. So I'm going to stay in his story for for a couple weeks here. And uh, I think it's appropriate because Jeremiah shows up in a time in biblical history and what we find in our Bible that is a season of extended sheltering. It was a time that we know today as the Jewish exile. For about 150 years, major empires rose up around Israel. First it was Egypt, then Assyria, then Babylon. They were threats to the nation. They were at war with the nation. And then in 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army sacked the city of Jerusalem. They breached the walls. They destroyed the temple. The devastation was extensive. And then those that survived, many of those that were sur- survived, were hauled away to live as political slaves in Babylon. So they had to walk through the desert, and those that survived had to live as foreigners in a a, a land far away. Now, Jeremiah is left behind in Jerusalem. And so this is the time of Daniel and Esther and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Jeremiah was there before the, the city fell. He was there left in the city to pick up the pieces after the battle had taken place and the exiles had hauled away. And he was a prophet that lived during a very, very difficult time, the time of the exile. Now, the exile is a, a a time that we like to teach on here at Cornerstone because it is a season of sheltering. It's a helpful metaphor to help us understand those seasons of our life that we don't ask for. See, the thing about exile and even sheltering is they follow the same pattern. Something changes around us, usually external things in our life. We realize that we're losing control We begin to grieve with certain losses. As Gene described a couple weeks ago, those losses might be prosperity and comfort. I think control certainly is a part of that. During times of being sheltered or exiled, we lose control. But what makes the exile a meaningful time is because when we listen to God's voice and allow him to bring about new life, it turns into a sheltering season. Sheltered unto new life, into new life. And this is what happens with Jeremiah. So for the next couple weeks, I want to give you some of his teaching. I want to give you some of the images that come from his prophetic words that help shape how we deal with this sheltering season that we're in right now. Now, what makes Jeremiah unique from other stories of those that were sheltered in the scriptures is that his whole life was lived under this pressure. 
He lived with this, his, this experience from early on till, till his death. Maybe some of you can remember talking to your grandparents or your great-grandparents who lived during the Depression, the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. It was a season of prolonged distress and struggle in our country. So you have, after World War I, you have the booming 20s, but then we hit the Depression. And if you're a farmer at that time, like my grandpa was during the Depression, he experienced the Dust Bowl. And then after the Dust Bowl, many people don't know this, there was a plague of locusts that devastated the crops all throughout the Midwest and Eastern Colorado. And then that season led into a season of unrest around a, a war that was taking place in Europe and in the Pacific. And then our country was attacked and then we entered this, this terrifying war and we have to deal with the grief of the loss of life and just the uncertainty of whether or not we're going to, we're going to be safe. I hear my grandparents describe that season. I thought, oh, it's almost too much to bear one thing after another. See, that's Jeremiah's life. He never knew a time of peace. There was always a threat of a foreign enemy. He never knew a time of peace within his culture. Israel was increasingly evil, violent, unjust, and they were losing their sense of identity so as a people, who they were was unraveling. He never knew a time of personal peace. He was always misunderstood, always mistreated, and experienced loneliness in profound ways. He never knew a time of peace internally, even spiritually, as he lived with bouts of severe doubt and suffering and the struggle that comes with God when we suffer. He lived in exile his whole life, but he was sheltered because he was, God was there with him and leading him in different ways. You know, you know who else I think of right now of just this time of prolonged stress that Jeremiah lived in? I think of millennials. You know, we give them a hard time today, but they actually deserve a lot of credit. They're very resilient and creative. Just think of what they've gone through in their short life. 9-11, the 2008 economic collapse, uh, 10 years or more of cultural upheaval that we're still in today, and now COVID. One thing after another. It's almost like there's not even time to recover between the tragedies and the stress and the struggle. Listen, Jeremiah only knew struggle. And he too was resilient. But God had more in mind for Jeremiah than just to survive. He was calling him into that bigger story that I started with. So listen to this. This is the vision of sheltered or sheltering or the season of exile. God wants to connect us to a bigger story. He, the, the goal is not just to survive. It's not just to be resilient. It's not just to make it through the other side. God wants to help us live the bigger story in the midst of being sheltered. Jeremiah was called over and over again into this big story that God had for him. And uh, he, he lived with this question all the time. Will I, will I be consumed with everything that's taking place around me or will I find what God is doing and join him in that? And isn't that the question that a faithful follower of Jesus is trying to do all the time today? There's an amazing passage, Jeremiah chapter 12, where God asks him this question, but he asks him in a unique way. So I want you to listen to it and then I'm gonna explain it, Okay but it's a beautiful image that I think we can carry with us during the sheltering season. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse five. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets? Here's what God is saying to Jeremiah. 
I have more in mind for you than just to survive the divisions of your nation. I have more in mind for you than just to survive an evil king. I have more in mind for you than just to get wrapped up in the petty ideology of the culture around you. I have more in mind for you than just living a simple life, quiet all to yourself. I have more in mind for you than all of that. You are meant to run with horses. You're meant to stand on unstable ground. You're meant to live the larger prophetic life that I've called you to, especially in the midst of a world dealing with deception, hopelessness, and hate. Eugene Peterson has a great book on the life of Jeremiah. It's called Running with Horses. And I want to read you a section from this book because he explains it better than I ever could. So here's the question. How will you live when you're sheltered? It says, there is a uh, memorable passage concerning Jeremiah's life. When worn down by the opposition and and absorbed in self-pity, he was about to capitulate to just such a premature death. He was ready to abandon his unique calling in God and to settle for being a Jerusalem statistic. And at that critical moment, he heard the reprimand of God say this. So Jeremiah, if you're worn out with the foot race with men, what makes you think that you can race against horses? And if you can't keep your wits during times of calm, what's going to happen when troubles break loose like the Jordan in a flood? Goes on to say, life is difficult, Jeremiah, and you're going to quit. Are you going to quit at first wave of opposition? Are you going to retreat when you find that there is more to life than finding three meals a day and a dry place to sleep at night? Are you going to run home the minute you find that the mass of men and women are more interested in keeping their feet warm than living at risk in the glory of God? Are you going to live cautiously or courageously? I called you to live your, at your best, to pursue righteousness, to sustain a drive towards excellence. It is easier, I know, to be neurotic It's easier to be parasitic. It's easier to relax in the embracing arms of the average. Easier, but not better. Easier, but not more significant. Easier, but not more fulfilling. I have called you to a life of purpose far beyond what you think yourself capable of, of living and promised you adequate strength to fulfill your destiny. Now, at the first sign of difficulty, you're ready to quit. If you're fatigued by this run-of-the-mill crowd of apathetic mediocrities, what will you do when the real race starts? The race with the swift and determined horses of excellence. What is it that you would really want, Jeremiah? Do you want to shuffle along with the crowd or do you want to run with the horses? How about that last question? Do you want to shuffle along with the crowd or do you want to run with the horses? Cornerstone, let me ask you, do you want to just survive COVID and this divisive political season or do you want to run with the horses? I'm asking myself that. I find myself saying, I can't take anything else right now. But I hear God saying, do you want to run with the horses? Just like Jeremiah, we have an anointing. Jeremiah had an anointing and a calling on his life that God uh, would not let him forget. And he won't let us forget it. What does it mean to be anointed by God? The spirit of God had been poured out in his life. The word of the Lord had come close to him. He would hear God's voice and speak on God's behalf. And he had a calling and a purpose. Now that's just like what we experience. That's why we can say over and over again here at Cornerstone, we're called to live the bigger story. Or ask the question, are you ready to run with horses? Because we have an anointing on our lives. The spirit has been poured out in our lives in full measure. 
Not a small dose, the full dose. The Spirit of God is close. He speaks on behalf of Jesus. We hear the voice of Jesus. We hear the Father. We have the Word of God available to us, and we have a calling on our lives as well. There's an anointing on your life that he won't let you forget. I think God just wants me to remind you today of what it takes to be reminded of that. I think if we were in Jeremiah's shoes, which I think many of us are right now, we would hear God say, Jason, are you ready to run with horses? Or Mary, are are you ready to run with horses? Or Brian, are you ready to get out of the crowd and are you ready to run with horses? Like Jeremiah, we are meant to live that prophetic life, which means that we are meant to lift people's gaze to God by the things we say, but most importantly, the way we live. Especially when everything around us is chaotic. So at the rest of the time, I want to ask the question, how do we get there? Because Aaron did a great job last week, like giving us a dose of reality that we are not doing well. And as a church, we're really concerned. If you have not yet listened to his message, uh, just a pastoral request that you would go listen to that message. Talks about Elijah, a man who experienced great victories Amazing things done. Saw God do amazing things, yet he, he found him pla- himself in a place of despair and loneliness, so much so that he wanted to die. And that's a lot like how many people feel today. We're in that place of despair and we're so lonely and we just want it all to end. And so how do we go from that place where we're not okay and where we're asking you to reach out and let someone know that you're not okay? How do we go to that place where we're not okay and get to the place where we can run with horses? See, that's Jeremiah's life's message. And if you read through the book, and I'll share, share with you a number of passages, you see him dealing with this question all the time, but God continually reminding him that there is an anointing and a calling on his life, and just to survive is not enough because you're meant to run with horses. One of the first places God shares this with him is Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. I think this is one of those verses that Jeremiah carried with him his whole life. He didn't know it as a verse. He just knew it as God speaking to him. Hopefully you've had God speak to you at different times in your life and you carry that message with you. You're reminded every day that he's with you. This is what the Lord said to Jeremiah when he was young. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. In one little verse, God speaks value, identity, and purpose. All things that we need right now to run with horses. Okay, if if any of these things are missing, then we're just gonna get caught up in the crowd and become a statistic and just want to survive. So that's what he said to Jeremiah at a young age. Then he would remind him of this over and over again about his own life, but also the nation of Israel. So let me take you to another beautiful image that I think is helpful during this sheltered season and it comes in Jeremiah chapter 18. So years later, God's once again speaking to him. And God is trying to show Jeremiah and speak to the nation of Israel. This is the kind of thing that God does while we're sheltered. This is what God does while in exile, is he uses that opportunity to form us. And Gene did a wonderful job two weeks ago talking about that it's during these times when we lose control and we lose comfort and prosperity that we're finally ready to listen and let God do something in our life. Jeremiah's saying the same thing here, but he gives us a beautiful image of what it's like. It's not clean, it's not linear, it's not a formula. It's a great big mess that God gets in and he forms new life. He forms the type of life that's able to run with horses. Chapter 18, verse one. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. 
go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot that he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best fit to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me and he said, can I, do, can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand, Israel. If running with horses is the vision of exile, it's the potter's house, that unseen place that God uses to transform us into the type of person that can run with horses. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, many of you know that wrestling's been a part of my life for many years, and now I'm a coach. And I love getting to coach at the high school level because it's about introducing the sport. It's about teaching lessons to the kids. But to be, if I were really honest, it's about winning also. I love all of those pieces coming together. And as kids get to that age, it's about performing and it's about winning. And uh, I know as a coach that the match is won and lost, not in those, those six minutes out in front of the crowd watching, but it's one in the wrestling room and in the weight room and in the lonely runs that those athletes take on their own and in managing their weight. I know that the winning and the, the shaping of creating a champion wrestler is done behind the scenes, in the quiet places. See, Jeremiah's being given a vision here. You don't just run with horses because you want to. You don't just run with horses because Pastor Brian has you excited to live the bigger story. God has to do something in your life for that to happen. Now, what is ironic is that during the times of sheltering and exile, we begin to question some of those core things about us, but those are the things God continually reminds us of. So I'm not gonna be surprised that in the months to come, we begin to hear from many of you during this difficult time that you kept hearing certain things from God. I won't be surprised if many of you say, I heard God speak value into my life. That won't surprise me because that's what God does. Uh, I won't be surprised when I hear many of you say, I, I heard God remind me of my identity because that's what God does. And I'm not gonna be surprised when I hear many of you say, God reminded me of my purpose. This is what he does. Now the pot, in the image is actually helpful for all three of these kind of core longings, these big questions. Where does my value, my identity, my purpose come from? A pot is all of those things. It's valuable, it's useful, it's unique. So let me go through these just quickly. First of all, to the question about value and worth. The potter that he saw shaping the pots that day, when he was finished with the pot, he would call it beautiful. There'd be certain value to that pot, not just because it was useful, but because the potter had poured his heart and his soul into that pot. His, literally, his fingerprints were seen in the pot. See, Jeremiah is being reminded of something from Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. See, what God is saying to him is before you ever thought about me, I thought about you. Before you ever breathed your first, first breath, you were valuable to me, that's what God would say. I love saying this phrase right now just because I think it helps speak to something we need to hear. Did you, I mean, I need to stop saying, did you know that you make God smile and just remind you that you make God smile? You're loved and valued. There's nothing you can do to earn any more from him. There's always a place at his table, however we can say it, that gets across. You are a treasure to him. 
And your value comes from God. And your value comes in the fact that you were created and you were formed. The word here in Hebrew, it's yatsar. It's the same word. He's forming the pot. It's the same word that we find in Genesis, that series that we just ended. He formed Adam and Eve. He poured his heart and his soul into them. So your transformation, God is pouring his heart and his soul into you. Because you're valuable. So pots are beautiful, they have value. Every pot that a potter would make during this time that Jeremiah is watching and he's looking around the potter's house, he sees all these different pots, everyone would be unique as well. They'd be unique, but they'd have an identity that was attached to the potter. And so, you know, during times of exile, we ask the question, who am I? (laughs) Do I wanna keep being this person? I've never heard someone doing well in life say things like this. I just don't know what I'm doing with my life. This is what happens when we struggle, when we're in the season of shelter, we begin to ask these questions, who am I? And look what God is reminding Jeremiah of, this image. He said, before I formed you, I knew you. See, we belong to God. We're sons and daughters. We're a royal priesthood. We're the family of God. We're the body of Jesus. We're the house of God. Whatever beautiful title that you want to put on yourself, put it on you. That's who you are. You belong to him. You always have belonged to him. And you're unique. And that unique story that God is is allowing to happen around you and in you is is precious and it's important. And Jeremiah is living this unique story. You know, one of the things that Jeremiah struggled with is something we struggle with today is he struggled with comparison. Why am I going through this when other people aren't? Why is my story this way? Why am I asked to do this? You know, comparison will actually take away something that God wants to use in you, which is your unique story. You lose perspective. When you begin to say, hey, my history is less formed by God than others. My wounds can't be shared with others, but, you know, other people can. My wounds can't be healed by God. We think we're the only ones with issues. We measure our strengths or our weaknesses against other people. We say our gifts aren't that spiritual. Whenever we do that, you know what we're doing? It takes us out of living the bigger story because we're trying to live somebody else's story. The big story God has called you to, the horse or the race that he wants you to run with horses is your race to run. We get to run it together, but it's your race to run. I love the imagery of pottery. Everyone was unique. Thomas Keating in the book, The Human Condition, has a great quote. I love sharing it. I think this is what happens during seasons like this helps refine who we are, we, 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 uh, we kind of lose, we, we shed all the false selves that we have, we lose the masks. And during times of exile and sheltering, God reminds us of who we are. This is Keating's quote, he said, the spiritual journey is not a career or a success story. It is a series of humiliations of the false self that become more and more profound. These make room inside of us for the Holy Spirit to come in and heal, or I would add, to come in and form. So he takes them to the potter's house. You want to run with horses? To run with horses, you have to know your value. To run with horses, you have to know who you are, whose you are. And to run with horses, you have to know your calling. You have to know your purpose. And uh, I think it's important that we share it in this order. If we were to start with the most important thing about you is how you're useful to God, then we would screw the whole thing up like many of us do. 
and we would think that our relationship with God is conditional and uh, it's just utilitarian, that we're just here to be used by God. That's not the case. When we understand that we're loved by him completely, there's nothing we can do to earn any more love, and when we understand who we are, then we're ready to serve. And at that point, service isn't about us, it's about him and it's about other people. And so Jeremiah gets to this place. A pot was valuable, a pot was unique, had an identity, but every piece of pottery had a purpose. And what's the purpose of pottery? But to carry something, right? So in the scriptures we see valuable things carried with pottery. So oil. Think of the story of the widow and her oil. Perfume, but the woman that anointed Jesus' feet was put in pottery. It was a container for something very, very valuable. How about water in a dry land? It's the only way to store water, to store wine, to survive. See, it carried something really, really important. God reminds Jeremiah over and over again, you wanna run with horses, you have to remember that you have a calling, you have something that you carry. So it's Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. I set you apart, I appointed you. Or if it's here looking at the pottery and thinking this is what I'm like, this is what Israel like, we're meant to carry something valuable. What's neat is, is this imagery of what's taking place here in the potter's house shows up in the New Testament. So Paul, Rabbi Saul, who knew the Jewish scriptures as well as anyone, I think was riffing on this image of the potter's house when he said this, 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, sheltered, exiled, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies." There's a lot that could be said about purpose and calling, but if you were to sum it up from the words of Jeremiah, it is that you carry the life of God in you. You carry the life of Jesus in you. When you serve in his name, people see him. When a husband and a wife submit to one another and love each other, you know what they sketch out for their children? They sketch out the Trinity, the love of God, the camaraderie of God. When we act justly, we show the character of God in this world. You are meant to carry the life of God, the life of Jesus into your home classroom, your home office, your office in a big building, your neighborhood, wherever that is, even your dysfunctional family, you're meant to carry the life of Jesus there. There is treasure in jars of clay. That jar that was marred, but was shaped. It's incredible value, identity, and purpose. I tell you a lot about the Puritan's version of calling. I just think it's really helpful today. I think it's a great way of thinking about how we can make every day count. If we get the first two right, there's not a meaningless day. The Puritans have levels of calling. The first, they describe that we're called to be image bearers to be like God in this world, to mirror back to God his good, true, and beautiful character, uh, to do the things that God does, to create and to love and to live in connection and, and family and camaraderie. When we do those things, we're living out our calling to be image bearers. And then under that, 
comes a calling that comes with those that are with Jesus, and that is to be image restorers. Wherever there is exploitation or injustice or things like racism or wherever there are people that are not being seen, not being loved, not uh, being valued, that don't have an identity, that don't have purpose, we're meant to move into that place and speak truth and hope to them to restore what was broken, to act justly, whatever it would be, but it's to be image restores. That's a beautiful thing. This can be done every day, wherever we're at, including in the season that we're in right now. We can be image bearers and image restores. And then lastly, this is the one that most people focus on, but it's the least important. Modern people like to think about my particular job and my own gifts. But you know what? You could be very talented and have lots of opportunities and waste your life. Because if you don't understand that you're first an image bearer and then an image restorer, you will use your gifts and your talent and your opportunities on you. I mean, it's very serious. Like, if you want to run with horses, we live out our calling. We stop, as that quote said, stop living in self-pity and wanting to give up. And we hear God's voice say, I have more for you than that. My friends, God is working in our lives, and I know many of you are not doing well, but I certainly believe that part of doing well is that we hear God's voice calling us out of the crowd. And I do want to say something as I close to just our whole church. You know, most of this message has been talking about what God is doing in your life, that he's speaking value and identity and purpose into your life. But it would be a mistake not to point out that when he's describing what's taking place with the potter and the clay is describing a community, he's describing Israel. You keep reading there in chapter 18 and uh, you see that God's mentioning that he can uproot Israel in a moment just like he created them in a day. See, God creates communities, spiritual families that are valuable, that have unique identity and unique purpose. And our church is one of those places. Cornerstone is the result of God's will. He thought us up. He put us together. He led to all the things that have allowed Cornerstone to be what it is today. The room that I'm in was a gift from him. The people that God has brought into our community, it was by God's design. Right now, as a church, we are in the potter's house at the will being shaped. Being shaped into something new. I can tell you this, when we all come back together, certain things will be similar, but I'll tell you what, we're gonna be a different church. And I don't know exactly how we're gonna be a different church, but I know that during times of exile, God recreates, he renews, he revives. And those things look different, and that's what God is doing with our church right now. And what we should be doing as a family is we should be coming together, finding ourselves to remind one another and the chaotic world around us that has no hope of our value and their value of an identity that is set and certain and a purpose that um, gives you something to burn for, a reason to wake up in the morning, something to live for. Let me tell you what pastors are talking about right now. Whether it's webinars, groups of pastor friends that I'm in, just one-on-one conversations, pastors are all worried right now that their churches are unraveling. That the chaos around us is causing the unraveling that most of the people in our churches are living within the crowds and not finding that bigger story to live in, not reaching out for help, not hearing God's voice to say to run, for, run with the horses. 
Cornerstone, I think God wants to speak to us today that we're meant to run with horses. If you raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? Put your name there. Put our church's name there. Cornerstone, if you stumble in safe country or in times like this, how can you manage in the thickets? God has a great big story for us to live. And I can tell you what, it's certainly about more than our personal preference, our personal fears, the things that we like. It's amazing how we can turn something like the church, which is meant to be the manifestation of God in this world to serve our community, that we can turn it into something we consume. That's a tragedy. And God's saying, we can run with horses. And so I wanna end today by just giving us a chance to pray together. And I wanna use one of our favorite practices to give us a chance to listen to God's voice. Just like Jeremiah got quiet to hear from God, I want us to. So we're gonna do some Lectio Divina today. And I just wanna invite you to bow your heads and I'm gonna read through Jeremiah chapter 12, verse five, three times. And I'm gonna ask you to ask God for something different each time. But I think God wants to speak to you about your yourself and perhaps your family, your household, your friends, but certainly our church. God has more for us than just to survive this season of shelter. Much more than just to make, through, make it through and then get back to normal. No, God is doing something new and calling us to something new. And so let's pray. As we start, just to encourage you to invite God to speak, let him know that you're listening. Father, we thank you for the quiet place of prayer. As distractions come, don't judge them, don't judge yourself, just let them pass. Repeat that phrase, Father, I'm listening. And as I read through this passage the first time, I want you to ask God for a word or a phrase. It's just for you today. If you have raced with men and women on foot and they have worn you out, how can you run or compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets? Let God remind you that right now this is about more than just making it through. As I read it a second time, ask God for a feeling or an emotion. He speaks to our head and our heart. Jeremiah chapter, five, tw chapter 12, verse five. If you have raced with men and women on foot and they have worn you out, how can you run with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets? Let God speak vision to you right now about this difficult time. And lastly, and this is really the reason we do it, 
so that we might respond. Ask God for a next step, a response, a step of obedience for you. Jeremiah 12, verse five. If you have raced with men and women on foot and they have worn you out, how can you run with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets? Father, remind us today that we are in your hands right now. We are in your hands not to just be cared for and to loved and to be sheltered and protected, but you are actually calling us into something bigger. I bless my church. With the reality that there's treasure placed in jars of clay. May they do more than survive during the season. May you use them to bring about something new, something great. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.